Let me uh, take a moment just to welcome all of our folks who are watching and listening online. We have uh, multiple nations of the world with friends who tune into us on a regular basis. And how many of you appreciated the uh, the podcast and the uh, the live streaming and the YouTube channel? Where when you're away and traveling, as a lot of you have been uh, over the summer and various times, it's nice to be able to still. Uh, you know, jump into the home church. I was able to watch Pastor Andrew last week, a great message on the, the prophetic and the teaching uh, gifting. It was so good and just so good to be uh, able to be a part of the, the local church when you're not here. So I want to say hello to all of our friends in the nations of the world, and those of you that might be listening online. We've been uh, in a series, which we're wrapping up. This, this week we're going to talk about shepherd and evangelists. Next week I'm going to spend the entire Sunday talking about apostolic functioning and apostolic gifting and why it's so important. It's probably the most understood of all fivefold uh, ministry gifts. And in fact, let me go back to that. You guys helped me out by way of review with the old hand illustration. Uh, the thumb is the what? Apostle, and then the prophet, and then the evangelist, and then the ring finger. That one won't bend without that holding it down. All right, the pastor who's married to the church and the little finger. The teacher who loves to get into the details. And we were saying that when all five functions are operating in a local church, uh, you have the strength to deliver the kind of blow to the enemy that God wants us to deliver, uh, the powerful impact that the church is to have. When any of those fingers are missing or any of those functions are missing, uh, the strength of your hand is compromised. And our, our uh, you know, issue all along has been if, the, if we're missing these functions in the church or we only acknowledge one or two, then the strength of the local church is just simply not going to be at the level that God intended it to be at. And consequently, we're going to fall short of the maturity and the, and the fruitfulness that God wants us to have. So how many of you know these are important? Who gave us these five? Jesus. And what was the occasion of his gift giving? His ascension, which means he gave them from securing the greatest victory the planet Earth has ever experienced. He plundered hell, and now he's in the generous mode of Jesus and who he is, and he's giving gifts to the church. How many know these are really important then? Whoever, the, the greatness of the giver determines the value of the gift. How many know you want, these gifts are really valuable? Because they come right from the heart of Jesus Christ himself. And I've been sharing with you, and I love the way Pastor Andrew got into this last week, the goal of this is self-awareness, all right? We need to understand how God's wired us because the purpose of these gifts is obviously to build the church and to equip the church so that we can go do the work of the Lord, which means planet Earth is, is a, the contested ground and we're out to reach people with the gospel, amen? Until Christ returns in glory and power and ushers in the second coming and a whole new epic in time in history. It's going to be amazing, all right? But until then, we have work to do, and so these gifts are given in a war atmosphere. They're given to alleviate suffering and pain. They're given to build up and strengthen and mature the church, but what I want you to realize is when you understand who you are, it helps you relate to other people, not just in the church setting, although that's important because how many of you know if we're disunified and we're full of strife, and murmuring, and gossiping, and complaining, and disunity, and, and bitterness, and resentment, we have, we've short-circuited the purposes of God for our lives, amen? So we can't do that. We have to learn how to flow together, and I love the way Pastor Andrew highlighted last week that certain gifts can choose to rub on each other because we see things differently. You know, we joke about men and women, right, in marriage seeing things differently, but how many of you know it's not just men and women, it's people, Every one of us in this room is looking at life through a unique lens that is you. And the crazy thing is, in marriage, like for me to look at my wife and say, well, why can't you just be like me? Well, number one, because it's an impossibility. She can't be like me. 
Why can't you just see things and process the way I see and process things? Because that's not how she's wired. And for me to try to expect that of her uh, would be to cause her to be perpetually frustrated and to cause our marriage to be not so great uh, because that's not going to go over very well. What God's wanting me to do is to learn to be interdependent with her and to flow together and to appreciate the fact that God hooked me up with somebody who can help me in the areas that I just cannot see. I mean, you know, we don't have 360 vision, all right? Um, We need other people and other perspectives to round us out. And this works in a marriage relationship because I shared with you before, we're going to talk about the shepherding gifting today. My wife is a shepherd. She's a people person. She loves people. And she's people, 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 people. And, uh, and for me to understand that, she said this this weekend, because guess what we got to do? We had 19 of us under one roof. 19 Johnsons under one roof, all right? Um, yes, it was amazing. 19 different lenses, 19 different personalities, 19 different ages, but you know what? It was glorious. It really was, but she was in her element because she was mothering, grandmothering, you know, wifing, all the things that she does, but basically they all had one thing in common. It was giving, serving, blessing, and she was happy as a lark, and she said, I felt so alive. Now, somebody else that doesn't have that gifting might be saying, I feel very frustrated, all right, Um, but she felt alive when she's in people, chaos, situation, poopy diapers, crying babies, whatever the situation is, she feels alive. Isn't that remarkable? (laughs) Some of you are going, wow, that's my expression as well. Wow, that's amazing. But here's what I do. I appreciate that about her, and I put her in situations where she feels alive. And I let her feel alive, because when she's alive, how many know when mama's happy? Everybody's happy. And I want mama to be happy, so we put her in situations where she gets to flourish like that. But it, knowing that's important, because what it means is not, hey, let's get out of this place. How, there's people here, and you're loving them all, and you're irritating me. Let's go somewhere where it's quiet. Or what, You see what I'm saying? No, that's, I have to let her move in her area of gifting so she flourishes. How much more important is that for everybody in the church to do that with one another? And you know what? When you understand, you go, aha. That's why that person asked that question. That's why that person's interested about this. That's why that person acted that way, responded that way. It helps us flow together. And if we're flowing together, how many know we can make a massive impact together, which is what we're supposed to be doing? So we share with you, prophets are presence-focused. They're all about the presence of God, making sure God's people are in line with the covenant and doing what God's called us to do. Uh, We said teachers are truth-focused. Some of you that are teachers, man, you love the Word of God, you love learning, you love ideas, you love growing, you want to go deep, uh, truth-focused, that's, the, that's your lens. Well, today we're going to talk about shepherds and evangelists. Now, first of all, shepherds are people-focused. I kind of, you kind of maybe alluded to that. People who have a shepherd's heart love people. They're just naturally people lovers. They care about people's health. They care about people's vitality. They care about people's growth. So here's what you need to understand. A true shepherd who's pastoring the sheep will be very much people-focused. What your needs are, how to feed you, how to help you, how to grow you. People, 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 all right? Life group leaders, good life group leaders are shepherds. They're people-focused. They care about connecting with people, loving people, helping people. In fact, when we look at the ministry overview of a shepherd, we find that shepherds are responsible for maintaining and developing healthy community and life-giving relationships. Nothing grieves a shepherd-hearted person more than when there's relational fallout. 
In fact, if, some, if two people have a disagreement and that one family leaves the church because they're so mad, a shepherd's heart will, will be grieved over that. Why? Because they're wired for community. They're wired for relationships, and it hurts them to see something like that happen. They work to create loving, spiritually mature people who, who form a network of healthy relationships. And I don't know if any of you um, uh, knew or were married by my father. How many of you were married by my dad? All right. How many of you have been to any of the weddings that he, that he conducted? All right. One thing about shepherds, is, and you saw this in the wedding ceremony, is shepherds know people's names and they know people's stories. And the thing that I learned growing up, watching my dad and sitting in, in the uh, weddings that he performed, was that the reason people loved him so much is they weren't religious ceremonies. They were very much focused on the people that were in front of you because he knew them. In other words, you don't marry strangers. You know, people will call up the church sometimes, hey, we need to have a, can you guys do a wedding? Yeah, when? Thursday. <laughs> no. Um, because the goal of a shepherd is not to marry total strangers that you don't know who they are. It's not a religious ceremony. It's about connecting with people. And we like to tell people here, when we, if we marry you, we want, we're committed to the long-term success of your marriage. We want this to end happily ever after. How many of you think that's a good goal? So we're not going to just marry you because we can. Like, we're going to marry you when we know your names. That's always a good thing. And your story. Well, let me just share with you, okay? Because we're talking about evangelism. We're talking about shepherds. We already have a conflict. Some people are like, you know, I don't want to go to that church. It's too big. Well, what do they mean? Well, the pastor doesn't know my name, and he certainly doesn't know my story. Well, let me ask you a question. How many people can a pastor know everybody's name and story personally? Let me tell you the answer, because it's the national average in America. Typical church in America is about 80 people big. You know why it's 80 people big? Because if you're looking for somebody, meaning one person, meaning the pastor, to know your name and to know your story, that's about all anybody. And in fact, if a pastor knew 80 people's names and stories, A+. plus. How many of you think that's a big task? So here's the deal. If your local church is led by a pastor who is people-focused and wants to know everybody's name and story, you will eventually reach a lid unless... You have an apostolic function that raises up more pastoral leaders. Because this should be our goal. This should be our goal. Not that I know everybody's name and story, but that somebody in this place knows your name and your story. In other words, the, the goal of apostolic leadership is to raise up lots of shepherds so that, check this out, I'm talk, tying into the evangelist now, so that we can continue to reach more people. Isn't that why we're here? To reach people. So how do we reach people, and then here's the tension, and yet care for those same people? I think we better grow people and multiply leaders if that's going to happen, amen? Because if we're not raising up more shepherd hearts, we won't be able to love people well, and we certainly will reach a lid on how many people we can potentially impact with the gospel. So we have to have shepherds in the house. Shepherds know their sheep. Look what the Bible says, John chapter 10 verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and look what a good shepherd does. I know my own sheep. So here's what we're trying to do. I'm certainly praying for more and more pastoral grace, because my goal is to know everybody's name, and my goal is to know your story. 
I think that just makes for great ministry uh, when you know people and you know their story. But here's the deal. If the evangelists in the house keep pushing us and provoking us to loving lost people, guess what's going to happen every Sunday? We're going to have new people. Guess what's going to happen? We're going to have people getting born again. Guess what's going to happen? We're going to have more broken, hurting people that need to be discipled and taught and trained. And guess what's going to need to happen? We need more shepherds. So we have got to figure this out, and here's, here's what cannot happen. This is the way if you're sitting at a staff meeting and you have shepherds at the table and you have evangelists at the table, the evangelists are like, let's go do this, and I believe if we hold this event, we can see 100 people come to know the Lord. And then the shepherd jumps in and says, that would be terrible. How are we going to care for the souls of 100 people? We don't have enough life groups, and how are they going to be discipled, and who's going to help them? And we're going to be overwhelmed. The evangelist says, who cares? God will figure it out. Our job is to win souls. And, you know, we'll catch the fish, and God will sort out how to clean them and fix them and all that kind of stuff. Can you already see a little bit of attention, all right? And here's the tension. Both of those things are true. We need to reach as many people as we can. But how many of you know you need to care for as many people as you can? And so we got to have both of these things operating in perfect balance or else something gets out of whack. So Jesus says good shepherds know their sheep. We are looking for life group leaders who know their sheep. We're looking for small group leaders or different ministry leaders that know their sheep. And Jesus says this, uh, I will sacrifice my life for the sheep. How I many you know that's the difference between a shepherd and a hireling? There are some religious folks who just go to the next good job opportunity. It might mean more pay. It might mean more benefits or whatever. Those are hireling folks, all right? Nobody should get into shepherding people for money. You shepherd people because you love Jesus and you love people. And in fact, you know, I remember Mother Teresa. Somebody came up to Mother Teresa. She's on the streets of Calcutta. She's showing some rich business folks that were on a trip with her to see her work, what she does. And she's in the gutter with people who are full of scurvy, lice, disease, and they're laying there in the ditch. And somebody, one of the business leaders, looked at her and, and said this, you couldn't have me, I, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she looked back and said, neither would I. That's a shepherd's heart. A shepherd's heart just says, I care for people. I care for broken people, hurting people, messed up people. People are not a burden to me. People energize me, and I want to love them the way Jesus loves them. That's, that's a shepherd. Shepherds are willing to lay down their life, their time, their agenda, whatever it is, their resources to help people. We need more shepherds in the house, amen? And I mean, you know, because we're following Jesus, we all need to grow in this grace in our own lives, all right? Let me just say this. Shepherds are the nurturers and they're protectors of the flock. This, the, the Bible says this in Isaiah 40, verse 11, talking about Jesus. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs under his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Look at these words here. Feed, shepherds feed. Shepherds carry. Shepherds hold. Not just hold. They hold close to their heart. They nurture. They gently lead others under their control. They don't drive them. That's the nature of shepherds. Thank God for that kind of care, that kind of protective spirit. And I'll just say this. You know, the, our, our elders in this house, just so you all know, the role that our elders have is they're primarily shepherds of the flock. They're, they're folks that help us touch more people, love more people, and part of their job is to be my eyes and ears and hands and feet because I can't do it all. 
uh, but they know who they're caring for. And then we have life group leaders who are under shepherds, and they care for people. And the goal is simply this. If you're a good shepherd, you're very aware of what's going on in people's lives. You know when they're struggling. You know when they're emotionally spent. You know when they're going through a financial situation. You know when they have a health need. You know all these things. Why do you know all these things? Because you're a shepherd and because you care. I have had people call me up and say, Pastor, so-and-so and so-and-so, I've just noticed there's been a distancing or something going on, or I was listening to so-and-so talk, and what they were saying did not sound like what, what's part of our Living Stones culture. Aha, those are shepherd ears that are talking there, because how many of you know Paul warned the church that your greatest threats in the local church will not come from without, but they will always come from within. Look with me in Acts chapter 20. You can follow along on the screen. I'm helping you out on some of this. Acts chapter 20. Paul said, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and they will distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out, Paul says. Remember the three years I was with you. Now here's Paul's pastoral shepherding heart coming out. My constant watch and care over you night and day. And look at the last part. And my many tears for you. I mean, that's what shepherds do. They care about people's souls. And here's the deal. They care about the health of the church. You know, people will come in and they will try to draw people to themselves, all right? They're not necessarily going to say this. They don't come in and say, I'm going to go in and destroy that church. That, that's not what they're thinking. But there's a deception, and they, many times people come into a church and they use the local church for their purposes. And you have to watch these people. Um, if you have people drawing pe- people to themselves and not to Jesus, if you have people that are not submitted to the larger vision of the house and are doing their own agenda, it's only a matter of time before you're going to have a major mess on your hands. What do shepherds do? They go, aha, we have a problem here. And here's the deal. Even though shepherds are people persons, all right, and they love unity, a good shepherd is not afraid to confront when the situation needs to be confronted. How many of you found this to be a case in your own house? All right. My wife is a nurturer. She loves, and she is a peacemaker. But you know what? There's times when mama needs to get the sword out. Or here's the situation happened in my house. My mom, if I was a scoundrel during the day, my mom would discipline me, and then she'd say, and wait till your father gets home. Oh, no, that was a, that was a double anointing right there. In other words, just because you love people doesn't mean that you stray away from loving confrontation and correction when there needs to be loving confrontation and correction. After all, we speak the truth in love, do we not? So good shepherds don't ignore the fact, oh, there's a bunch of wolves eating the sheep. And let me just say this, why we need more shepherds. Shepherds care for what God cares for. You know, I'm going to talk about Pastor Andrew. I talk about Pastor Dick. One thing that both of these guys have in common, I think all of our staff, I'm just singling these out, but one thing I love about Pastor Dick, for instance, he is a local church guy. He has a vision for the world, but at the end of the day, the Bible says, you all, and myself included, we are the result of the purchase price of Jesus. He shed his blood to purchase this gathering. I mean, you know, this, in God's mind and in the mind of Christ, you're really important. He shed his blood for you. 
So you're not just normal relationships, you're blood-bought relationships, you're valuable. Us understanding this. And how about this? You should care that the church globally is prospering because Jesus shed his blood for that very purpose. So when I find people that have a heart for the church, have a heart for God's people, have a heart to serve, have a heart to see the church growing and flourishing, when you find people like that, that's Acts chapter 20. That's Paul's admonition. Those people probably have a shepherd's heart. Now I can tell you for Pastor Andrew, before he even took on the office of pastor in this house, it was obvious he had a shepherd's heart. Let me tell you why. He'd be the one calling me up saying, Pastor, how are you doing? Pastor, I'm concerned about this situation. Do you have anybody to to lead that? If you need someone to do that, I'll do that. In fact, I can say this about our elders, Joe and Diane Eliseo. That's exactly how they're wired. Whatever needs to be done, they'll do it. They love people. And here's the deal. When you grow in spiritual maturity, you're not focused on your needs, your issues, your stuff. You're focusing on God's heart, God's people, God's church, God's agenda. Why? Because he shed his blood so this thing could exist. So when the church gets a black eye, like I just say, it grieves my heart. When, when there is a moral failure from a pastor of a mega church, or we see just recently uh, a major church leader turn back, his back on Christianity and divorce his wife, my heart grieves. I don't rejoice in that kind of stuff. I, even if I disagree with that person, my heart's broken. Why? Because the body of Christ, because the bride of Christ is getting a black eye. And because if you have a heart for Jesus, you care about his people and you care about his church and you care about his bride and these things matter to you. And so I knew, I told Andrew, I said, has anybody ever told you you have a pastor's call on your life? Well, yeah. I said, well, you know why? You know why? Here's the distinguishing factor. Because you care about Christ's church. And very, let me just say this, very few people do. For a lot of people, Sunday morning is just like going out to a nice restaurant. You keep going back as long as the food's good. Uh, If there's a bad meal, you might go to the church down the street, or you might stop going altogether if you can't fit it in. That's that's not the church Jesus died for. That's, That's not the church Jesus shed his blood for. People who love the church care about the health of the church, and I'm just telling you, we need more shepherds like that. Some of you, I'm speaking to you, all right? You're, you're the very people we're talking about. Shepherds are the caregivers. They, they love to heal hurts. They love to fix spiritual boo-boos, all right? Um, they love to care for the sick, for the feeble, pray for healing, provide counseling, bring reconciliation. Every part of that uh, heart of loving people is expressed through the shepherd. Let me show you another tension point here very quickly. Shepherds value stability many times over mission. Let me tell you how this works. My father, I told you many times, is a, of course, a, I don't have to tell you, he's a shepherd, he's a great shepherd. I'm going to talk about my gift and some of your gifts next week when we talk about apostolic. But many times in our church ministry, we had to make some decisions about doing something, like going out, spending, expanding, reaching, building, and launching a new ministry, whatever the situation was. The one I'm thinking about was, was when we decided to do 30-day tent revival in our parking lot with a massive tent. Some of you were there for the party. We knew when we were get, getting ready to do that, we'd be kicking the hornet's nest of hell. Because for 30 days, we're going to do nothing but worship, preach, pray, and, and cry out for God to show up. Well, some of you, if you're in the area, we, we had the newspaper on us, we had the police showing up, giving us 
you know, they were violating the sound ordinance and all kinds of stuff like that, which wasn't, none of it was true. But anyway, we had somebody try to sue us. Our neighbor tried to sue us for ruining their summer vacation, or ruining their summer. That's a new lawsuit right there, ruining, ruining your summer. Um, but we knew that by kicking the hornet's nest that there might be some good that came out of it as well. But let me just tell you the difference between evangelists and the difference between pastor hearts. We're all sitting around a table. Should we do this? Should we raise the money for this? Should we, this is going to be time, sacrifice, whatever. Um, the teachers are all wanting more information, more research. The shepherds are saying, you know what? Things are going really great right now. Why do we do something that might mess things up? I mean, we're seeing people touch. This ministry is great. This ministry is great. The evangelists are going, We've got to reach our community. In fact, that's why we exist. The apostolic folks are saying, let's advance the kingdom. Let's extend the mission. The prophetic people are saying, let's pray and let's make sure this is God. That's a good thing. All right? I'm not making fun of these folks. Let's pray. Let's sense if this is the timing of the Lord. But this is interesting. All of the breaks were the pastor teachers. All the gas pedals or the apostles evangelists. And the pro- prophetic folks are in the balancing line. If it's the Lord, they're the gas pedal. If they sense it's not, they're the brake, all right? Um, <laughs> but the, the pastoral function is always stability because they want everyone happy and whole and healthy. Whereas the evangelist says, let's take the hill, all right? And, uh, and, and evangelists have a, a liking for messiness, Whereas shepherds like the feeding troughs to be full and in order. You see what I'm saying? These are tension points. So what are we supposed to do? Yes. Bigger tent. Pastor Dick's like, after all the the hell we went through, you know, in the community media text, we get together, Pastor Dick would say, let's do a bigger tent next summer. Hey! (laughs) Yeah, all right. I, but that's apostolic gifting right there. That's like, yeah, we must be striking something here. We're getting close to the devil's nerve right here, right? Whereas pastors are going, let's just slow down this season and maybe not do a bigger tent next year. Let's maybe take two years off and then consider it after we see how people are doing. All right. I'm going to have to cut some of this here. You guys are talking way too much. All right. <laughs> cut that, cut that. My teacher here. All right, here we go. All right, let's talk about this. This is important. I told you before, you don't have to express these gifts just in the church. In fact, if this is how you're wired, you're going to be living this way probably in your job. Like, let me just share this. If you're a shepherd, you're probably in the human resource division of your business. Like, you're the one that cares about how are the staff doing? Are the benefits good? Are we making sure we're keeping up with the cost of living? Is the environment here good? How's that rule going to impact these people over here? You're an HR-type person, all right? You're, you're a human resource person. You're, you're the one that humanizes whatever you touch because you care for people and you care for the community. All right, let me quickly jump to the evangelist. We said shepherds are people-focused. Evangelists are harvest-focused people. They care about the harvest. Look on the screen with me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. But you should keep a clear mind, the Bible says, in every situation. Paul talking to Timothy here. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. How I many of you know that's a commandment to all of us in this room? Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry 
That's what we're talking about in this series. What is the ministry that God has given you? Paul says, carry it out fully, all right? So let's talk about it. We all need to grow in the evangelistic area. Some of you, though, are naturals. Here's what it means if you're a natural evangelist. Evangelists are exceptional recruiters. They recruit to the cause. They're people gatherers. Good evangelists have the ability to inspire you and persuade you to whatever it is that they're selling, all right? How many of you have found people like this? You run into an evangelist, Man, they're people, people, all right? They're talking to you. They're excited about what's going on. They're excited about what God's doing. And here's the evangelist's biggest frustration. If they don't persuade you to have the same excitement level they have, then they're frustrated. And so what do they do? They keep persuading you harder because they want to close the deal, all right? They want to close the deal. And I'm saying this all in jest, but these are good things. How many of you know, thank God, for recruiters, because if there aren't people running around, and here's another phrase I like to use, sneezing. What, what, what's sneezing? Sneezing, have you ever been on an airplane and the person next to you, you're going to be on a 12-hour flight and the person next to you has a sinus infection, all right? Mm, not a good situation because they're sneezing. And what happens? It gets recirculated in the airplane air for 12 hours, all right? I want to carry that over to spiritual sneezing, which is not nearly as gross, all right? Spiritual sneezing. What's a spiritual sneezer? An event happens. Like we just had an amazing win for the children's ministry and for all of us, right? What are we doing? Oh, man, this was amazing. You need to have your kids come next year. It was life-changing. Some of you that have had your marriage rock since you've been here. What are you doing about marriage ministry on Sunday afternoons? You're sneezing everywhere you go. Hatsu, hatsu, marriage class. Hatsu, hatsu. And what are you doing? You're telling people about how great your life is because Jesus touched you. I mean, you know, we all should be sneezing. We all should be sneezing. People that are evangelists, I find that they're, they're, they're winsome. They're enthusiastic communicators of the gospel. They're looking for buy-in from those that, that they're sharing with. They're people uh, on mission, and they're people who are motivated to have others join the mission. Let me just say this, too. You know, when I ran for office, I met this guy, and he was, um, let's just, I'll be nice. I'll call him a baby Christian. Um, incredibly carnal, foul mouth. But he always wanted to get into discussions on the end times. So every time I'm around him, the guy's like, oh, pastor. Man, the world's going to hell. It's so bad out there. Things are getting worse. I'm just, I know that the second coming is going to happen any time. Let me just tell you, those people are not successful evangelists. Let me, let me sneeze all over you, and let me vomit on you as well. And encourage you with how terrible things are getting. I just ran into him. I haven't seen the guy. I kid you not. I haven't seen the guy in almost a decade. Pastor, things are getting so bad. I, gee. I want to run from people like that. The gospel is good news. It's good news, which means that successful evangelists are not bearers of bad news. They're, they're bearers of good news. They're enthusiastic they love Jesus. There's a smile on their face. They love you. And I found this true about evangelists. They have the ability, just by doing life with you, to build bridges from where you are to where Jesus wants to take you. And they're natural about it. It's just like falling off a log. It's easy for them. They just, it just comes out of them. People love to be around them. And I found this true about evangelists. They have the ability to just invite people to all kinds of events where they're are strategically set up for the presentation of the gospel. And here's what's cool about evangelists, that people come. They just have this way, this supernatural charisma of gathering people. 
Uh, and this is why, let me just say this. People with an evangelistic anointing need to make sure that they're submitted to the other four gifts of the church and under the authority of the local church because that anointing you carry to gather people can be absolutely perverted and used by the devil. Because there's a charisma about what you carry that's supernatural, but it can be used in ungodly ways. So use your gathering to build, not to scatter. Does that make sense? Use your anointing to build and not to scatter. All right? Um, evangelists are great social connectors. They're able to apply the gospel to unique problems that people have. They're positive, good news people. You love to be around them. And this is what I love about evangelists. They constantly remind us of the truth that the reason we exist is for others. It's for lost people. And, you know, let me, let me share a fun example of, uh, of some more conflict here, all right? Um, I'm Rendon. You guys are life group leaders, right? Yeah. All right. When is your life group? Yeah, I'm giving you a commercial. Monday. 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 We're getting ready to start, so life groups are important. Yeah. You meet on Monday nights. Yeah. You have a great life group. People have fun. You love each other. Absolutely. How many people you got showing up? Uh, roughly. Uh, 25. Yeah, about 25. 25. In this case, 25 people. You have a very pastoral heart. Your lovely wife has a pastoral heart. You have a teaching gifting on your life. You love imparting. People come together. You're hospitable. They like being in your, in your, in your house. Um, 25, 30 people, you know. Is, isn't that amazing? Uh, you guys look forward to it, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the people obviously look forward to it. Yeah, we hope so. You hope so. All right, good. <laughs> so that's what life groups should be like, right, right, right there. People coming together, people loving on each other, throw some food in the mix, uh, throw the word in the mix, hear somebody's story, get to know somebody's name. How many of you know that's all good stuff? But here's the deal. Out of those 25 people, you think there's any leaders in that group that should be like leading their own life group? Probably. Probably, yeah. Let me help you out apostolically. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, You know, I picked on a life group this morning that I know there's at least three to four couples that go to that life group that should be leading their own life group. But now notice this. Who are all these wonderful people showing up at, at the Pandiagi's home? They're experiencing koinonia. Many of them have a shepherd's lens. You know what they do every Monday night? Wasn't that awesome? Don't you just love the Tims? Aren't they great people? Don't you just love the Eric's? Aren't they wonderful? We're so glad that we're able to connect. And man, they're, they're awesome. And we can't wait for next Monday. Okay, do you ever invite anybody to your life group? Oh, yeah. Well, of course you do. Absolutely. I was just provoking you. Um, <laughs> it, now, let me just say, if he's a, a pure shepherd, he's not thinking about inviting people. He's thinking about the 30 people that are going to show up that he has to care for because that's his focus, people. But he's, if, if he's well-rounded, more spiritually developed, or you're married to somebody who's more well-rounded, spiritually developed, then you're going to be thinking about who in this church is new and needs to get connected. So let's just say you're very successful. You guys are winsome, you know, loving, sneezing on everybody. And when Monday shows up, you now have 50 people in your house. I mean, you know, that's not a life group. That's a mob, all right? That's a church. That's a church church plant that just happened. All right, so here's my point. Where does a normal home put 50 people, and how does one couple love and connect with 50 people well? So you know what ends up happening? I'm speaking from wisdom here. I'm going to tell you. 
The one couple says, well, you know what? We haven't showed up at the life group for four weeks. And you know what? Nobody even called us. So we're, now nobody here ever, has ever done this. But, but we're offended. Now this poor couple's trying to pastor 50 people on Monday nights in their modest home. They can't even get 50 people in their living room. So you know what we have here? We have an apostolic function problem. Because the apostolic person comes alongside and says, who are you raising up to do what you're doing? And here's the, oh, watch the tension though. Mm, here's the tension. But we don't want the Eric's to leave our life group because we love the Eric's and we love our life group. We've grown so close. We love getting together. No, you've become ingrown and off mission. Because you don't exist to have great Monday night fellowship only. You exist to further the mission. Which means if we're reaching new people, there's people sitting here right now who needs a great home with great shepherds who are going to love them and connect with them and know their name and know their story and care for their souls. And you're not going to do it because you're mad at the pastor that he suggested that three of you leave the group and start their own life group. And we're mad. In fact, Amr takes an offense, and what does he start doing? He starts talking among the 30 in his group, and they all leave the church. Because pastor suggested, actually not pastor, apostle, talking about functioning, suggested that we need to stay on evangelistic mission, and we need to raise up people and grow people so that we can love, check this out, that guy just doesn't love people. No, maybe he loves people and wants to love more people. Because loving more people means how are we raising up more leaders to do, to take what you guys are doing so well and to multiply that a thousand times over. Is this making sense to anybody? Now can you see, there's nothing the matter with developing an amazing koinonia. And you should, and, and, and let me say this, when you launch somebody from your group to start their own life group, number one, it doesn't mean your relationship stops. Number two, it doesn't mean you shouldn't grieve. I mean, you know, when we're sending out people on the mission field from here, we're not like, hey, Sarah Vanessa, yeah, we love you guys, woo we've been, and then boom, you're out of Cambodia for three years. You feel that. Does your family feel that? Yes. Do, do people in your life group feel it? Yes. It stinks. It stinks. But why are we here? How do you know heaven's going to remedy all these problems? We're not going to have to reach anybody in heaven. We'll have an eternal life group. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Jesus is even going to show up, and I promise you, he'll know your name and he'll know your story. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> but in the meantime, there are people longing for connection. In fact, I was just reading this this generation is the most disconnected, even though we got social media everywhere, disconnected, lonely generation in the history of loneliness, all right? Uh, we're having a culture and people that are more fragmented and lonely than ever. We need shepherds, but we also need to have an evangelistic heart that reminds us that, you know what? If all we do is just care for us four and no more, we're going to be majorly failing on the call of God in our lives. And we're not going to be reaching the people we're called to reach. Let me give you another example quickly, and we're going to pray. How many of you remember the season we were in? We were doing four men's encounters and four women's encounters every year with 75 to 100 people. Oh, it was amazing. 
And then what happened is people started sneezing. So other people from other churches, from other regions, started coming to our encounters. But let me tell you what happened. The evangelistic function of the house was weak. Is it okay to admit that you're not perfect? The evangelistic function of our house was weak. And so here's what happened. Let's just say you're making donuts. You have a donut company. You're cranking out the donuts. But after a while, you're not getting any more new customers. And all the other people are on a keto diet. (laughs) So uh, guess what just happened to your donut business? You got donuts like crazy. You got every variety of donuts. They all taste great. They're amazing donuts. But you don't got customers. Guess what happens to your donut business? (laughs) Might even go out of business. Here's what happened. After everybody in our church had been to an encounter, then it started getting weird. Chris, oh, that was your sixth encounter. Okay, well, great. I hope God's really getting to the bottom of the problems there. You know, you start, you start to get ingrown and weird because here's what happens. Encounters are made for new believers or unbelievers who encounter God in a powerful way, or people that are trying to get free from the hurts and pains and hang-ups and stuff in their lives. And guess what? When everybody in the church has been to six, you have an evangelism function deficit. Can I just tell you, any church, in fact, this is the truth, any church that loses its apostolic and evangelistic thrust will become ingrown, weird, and eventually die, which is what's happening in Europe right now. We have churches that have never experienced an ingrowth of vision, an ingrowth of people, and those churches now are becoming discotheques and other kinds of uh, uh, places uh, in Europe, all over. How many of you know in America, listen, this is important, the average church in America, in fact, 80 to 90% of churches in America are plateaued or in decline. How many of you know we need evangelists in the house? We need to stir up the evangelistic anointing in our lives. We need sneezers. We need people that when you leave here today, some of you might go out and get a bite to eat. Uh, Some of you might go get your hair done this week or whatever. Can't relate. But anyway, you go get your hair done. (laughs) And while you're there, the ladies are talking like they do. You have a chance to share the gospel. You have a chance to sneeze. You have a chance to invite people out. Has anybody being impacted about what God's doing in this place? Anybody's life been changed? Anybody's marriage been touched? Anybody growing? Then for crying out loud, we have to take what we received and we have to give it away. You know, that's how the church grows. If, it, if it's not for the evangelist, the evangelist is the marketing department of the kingdom of God. Uh, if we don't have any, uh, anybody in the marketing department, we're in big trouble. Let me end with this, all right? I'm going to hit them quick. Four types of evangelists. You're not all the same. Some evangelists are investors. What, what are investors? It, this is a, a, a process-oriented, incremental, sacrificial, love-based evangelism. Some of you are not the ones that are going to go standing on the street corner with a megaphone. That's not who you are. But here's the deal. How many of you know when you make deposits in people's lives and you love people and you care for people and you're kind to people and you serve people and you give to people and you're generous with people, how many of you know over time you earn the right to be heard? And how many of you know we can all do that, can we not? Everybody can be an investor in somebody's life. When you make investments, short-term investments over the long-term, those accrue to great impact. And so we can all be investors. Second one is inviters. These are people who just say, you need to come to marriage class. It's incredible. Or celebrate recovery. It's changed my life. Or please come out to our life group. Or how about this? Come to our church. You've never seen anything like it. That gets people interested, all right? Right there. Inviters to strategic events. 
How about convincers? I was talking to a convincer this morning. If you're, if you're an evangelist with a teaching gift, you like ideas, and so you love apologetics, and you love biblical arguments for truth, um, and for God, and for Jesus, who he is. And some of you, you love that environment where you're debating, and you're convincing, and you're challenging people in their faith. Again, just don't be argumentative, but it's great to be that way. Be a, be a convincer. And lastly, I'll end with this, conversers. Conversers. They're, this is people who are involved in soundbite sharing. I love this. You know, when a lot of times Marion and I will be out in public, and especially when we were younger, we had all of our kids with us at the supermarket, and people, you know, people say the strangest things. Are all those yours? I only have one, and they drive me crazy. I mean, have you ever, have you ever met people like that? And, and here's what we would do regarding conversers. Sound bites. Invariably, we'd say this. You know what? I'm not sure how we did it, but we do know this. Apart from Jesus, we couldn't have done it. How are you so happy? Jesus. That's the soundbite. And then you drop the soundbite, and then you wait. If they keep talking, you have more soundbites. If they're not talking, leave it at that. Don't preach the whole sermon at the checkout line, all right? Don't give them the whole truckload of wisdom that you've accumulated over the years. You will drown them, all right? Sound bites as you're going. Just be yourself. Wherever you are, be yourself. Whenever you get a chance to point to Jesus, point to Jesus. Whenever you give a chance to give hope, give hope. And guess what happens? Over time, you earn the right again. People hear and people know who you are and they watch the way that you live. So my point is this. There's four different kinds of evangelists many of them based on the, the gifting that we have, the additional gifting, and one size does not fit all. They're different. So here's the deal. We need life group leaders, and we need people to serve and love people in a variety of functions around here. But we also don't want to get ingrown at living stones. We want to keep throwing glass in the nest, which means evangelists will make us uncomfortable. Apostolic people make us uncomfortable because they're always pushing the limits, always challenging us to believe more. How many of you know if we don't have that function, we're going to become ingrown and die? Does anybody want to be at the church that's ingrown and die? Instead of growing people, multiplying leaders, we could be the church that's ingrown and dying. Come join us. Oh, no, but then we'd be violating our code of ethics there because we would have invited somebody to be a part of our dead and dying church. Now that won't work. But anyway, all of, how many of you know Jesus in this place? Wave at me. You know Jesus. So guess what you have this week? You have a testimony. And you have something you can share with somebody else. And how many of you are totally embarrassed of your church and would never invite anybody to come? Okay, don't raise your hand. All right, there's one hand. That, that was a loaded question. All right, no. No, I hope, yeah, I hope that you're going, hey, please, this is what I like to tell people. I know you have an idea about what church is from your past, but we're not that. And I just challenge you to come and get a taste of something that you've never probably tasted before. You know, we should be excited about bringing people, inviting people to our life groups. Are you with me? Yes. And, and, and let me just tell you, if you're like totally embarrassed, like Pastor Ron, I would never feel comfortable inviting somebody to this church. Please set up a meeting with me, because I'm teachable. No, I'm serious. It, it, shouldn't it be a given that if Christ has touched you, you would want somebody to come experience what you've experienced? It, shouldn't that be a given? So if there's something going on that you're just like, oh... Every time pastor starts dancing on the stage, it's just, oh my gosh, you know, you know I'm kidding around. But anyway, you need, to, you need to figure out what that is that, that makes you uncomfortable or that would not allow you to invite somebody. 
Or how about this? Maybe we just need a fresh encounter with Jesus ourselves. Now the prophet's speaking. We need a fresh encounter with Jesus to bring us back to the former days and get us growing again and get us passionate and get us on fire again so that we're excited about sharing Christ with other people. You all with me? Even my good... You know, we had a great wedding, by the way. That was an amazing wedding. We had fun. Did you guys... It's still sticky? It's still working? Did you get any, you get any response back from the three-legged friend and the four-legged friends? Are they still... They loved it? All right, good. All right. That's another story. Sorry, I diverted there. But stand to your feet. We want to pray for you guys this morning. Pray for us. How many of you can use more of a shepherd's heart? How many of you could use more of the evangelistic fire in your heart as well? Lift your hands up if that's you. I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, thank you for these incredible gifts. Lord, now activate them in our, in our lives and our hearts, even as we leave here today. We just enjoyed a great shepherding moment of being together with family and people that love us. Now, Lord, we're moving out to our evangelistic moment when we're going to have a chance to give away what we've, what we've received today. So, Lord, help us. And, Lord, we want to be a well-rounded, alive, thriving, growing church that's impacting the nations of the world and our own nation. So, Lord, help us. We're, we're teachable. We want to grow. We want to do it better. We just ask you for help. Now, Lord, I even pray today, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we'd love to pray with you. It's really simple. There's nothing freaky about it. It's just a matter of just coming on forward, letting one of our leaders just introduce yourself and let us pray with you and ask Christ into your life. It's, it'll change your world forever, and we'd love to be able to do that. If you're new here today, we'd love to connect with you. Just come on down and say, hey, we're the so-and-sos or whatever, and, and we'd love to meet with you, all right? So, Lord, bless us now as we head out of here. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, love you all. Have an amazing week. Sneeze everywhere.